Welcome to the C3 Church podcast. Here at church, we are passionate about people and helping them in their walk with God. We hope this Sunday message speaks to you today. That is, thank you for the welcome, the most raucous welcome I've had, and welcome to all of our congregations joining us and everyone watching in the prisons across the UK as well. You're so welcome to this new series on the book of Romans. You excited for Romans? Yeah, this amazing secret subversive letter that was delivered to the ancient city of Rome around 55 AD. And you know, if you today do history at school or college, you will read about the Roman Empire in the history books. But the letter of Romans is still transforming people's lives today. Isn't that amazing? I read recently, uh, quite recently, that David Suchet, uh, also Hercule Poirot, the famous detective, he became a Christian through reading Romans in a hotel room. So still today, this letter is transforming lives. And I don't know how much you know about Romans. I'm not presuming any prior knowledge. But I thought I'd introduce the letter with a bit of a quiz. Do you like quizzes? All right, now don't panic because it's a sort of mostly they're multi-choice quiz. So, you know, they're a bit easy. You can always have a guess. Um, but I thought I'd find out how much you know. So the first question is a nice and easy, simple one to start with. Who wrote the letter of Romans? Who wrote the letter of Romans? And the answer is, give me a shout out. It's the wrong answer, actually. It wasn't Paul. Right at the end of the letter, right at the end of the letter, so you got off to a bad start. Right at the end of the letter, we read, you can read it in chapter 16. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, also send you my greetings. Now, of course, it was Paul who, uh, who dictated the letter. Paul is, was an early Christian. He hated Jesus Christ until he met him. And Jesus completely transformed his life. And he went about the ancient world telling people about Jesus and then writing letters like the letter of Romans. Only he had a very bad eye condition. He was a very educated man, but he had a bad eye condition. So he had a scribe called Tertius who wrote down what he dictated. So in a sense, Romans was written by Paul, but somebody else actually put pen to paper. Now, I like to think of that for the whole Bible, really. God didn't write the Bible, any of it, but he inspired all of it. Human beings may have written it down, but all of this, just as Paul really is the author of Romans, so God is the one who's given us his word. So as you wrestle with Romans, you're not really wrestling with just human ideas. Think of it as God's ideas for you. All right, so naught from one so far. Second question, I'll give, you, I'll give you half a point for Paul. Second question, who wrote Romans? Second question, how many people were living in Rome at the time that Paul wrote Romans? Uh, if you think it was 100,000, give us a cheer. 500,000? One million. Some of you just go for big numbers. And you're right, it was one million. Now, that might not sound big to us. There are many cities in the United Kingdom bigger than that. But here's an interesting fact. Rome was about a million people when Paul wrote his letter of Romans in about 55 AD. No city in the world became that big after Rome until London in the 18th century. Now, just think about that then. Rome eclipsed all other cities. It was the most dominant city in the world. People flooded to Rome because they wanted to admire the gods and the architecture. It's the most extraordinary city, and still today. Much of the resources, uh, there's some video resources alongside the Sunday uh, teaching and the, the book I've written, there's some video. We filmed quite a bit of that in Rome, and, and if you go there today, even the skeletons that remain of the Colosseum and the Forum, they send a, send a shudder down your spine. It's all so impressive. 
And yet, as I said earlier, that stuff no longer exists as an empire. And yet, Paul's letter of Romans is still transforming lives today. All right, next question. How long to the nearest hour would it take you to read the letter of Romans? One hour. Two hours. Three hours. The answer is one hour. Right? It's not as, I mean, it's, I'm not pretending Romans isn't complex. It's, we're taking on a challenge going through Romans. I'm not going to pretend. And bits of it are controversial. It's complex and controversial at times. But it only takes an hour to read from chapter 1 to chapter 16. I encourage you, whatever else you do, why not, wherever you're sitting, in, in your, at home, in your cell, wherever you may be, why not take hold of a copy of the Bible and in one sitting read the letter of Romans and just see what you make of the big picture. All right, next question. Who delivered the letter of Romans to the Christians in Rome? Uh, now, hands up if you think it was Phoebe. Oof. All right, Timothy or Barnabas? All right. It was, in fact, most likely to have been a lady called Phoebe. So let's hear it for the ladies, because it was a woman called Phoebe. A woman called Phoebe, even though a man called Paul wrote it, a lady called Phoebe, she was probably a businesswoman who was living near where Paul was when he wrote the letter of Rome near Corinth, who delivered it into the city. A brave woman, because this letter contained subversive truths. In a city where about a third of the population would have been slaves, this letter told people that in God's sight, it doesn't matter whether you're a slave or a master, you are equal in Jesus Christ. That had the potential to bring the empire down. And so Phoebe was a brave woman smuggling this letter into the city and sharing it with the early Christians who were meeting in secret. Final question. Which of these was considered a delicacy in ancient Rome? Mouse brain, flamingo tongue, or ostrich feet? Just to reassure you, it was probably mouse brain, but we don't need to go into the detail on that. The Romans thought that was a delicacy. We don't. Things have changed, is my point. As we go into the letter of Romans, we've got to remember, if these people enjoyed tucking into mouse brain, they saw the world a bit differently to us. So we're going to spend some of this series thinking, what did this mean in its ancient context in the first century? Now, what would this mean for us today in the 21st century? Now, all of that may make you feel a bit intimidated. Gosh, I don't know much history. I don't know much of the Bible. I don't even know if I'm good enough for all of this. Listen, I want to reassure you, yes, Romans is a bit complex, and moments within it are a bit controversial, but you know, you, I absolutely believe Romans will speak to you. Whoever you are, this letter does not open itself to IQ or qualifications. This letter opens itself to those who are hungry and thirsty for real truth. And if that's you, it doesn't matter what your background is or where you are right now, God can speak to you. I think of a, a friend of ours called Danny, as I think of this. He was from a really tough background in London, got involved in a lot of gang culture and drugs especially. And eventually he ran away from it all and ended up down in Cornwall, where we were living at the time. And um, he, he was running away from the madness, as he said. And, and to cut a long story short, he came to the church we were leading and he became a Christian. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. And being a bit, I was young at the time, being a bit unwise, I said to Danny, well, now that you're a Christian, why not try reading Romans? I mean, what a stupid bit of advice for someone who'd never, he said he left school at 14, he'd never read anything. The most he'd ever read was a comic. And here's his pastor telling him to read Romans. Ridiculous, you'd think. But Danny went back to his, uh, the, the sheltered accommodation where he was living, and uh, he took me at, his, at my word, and he started reading Romans. And honestly, I used to meet with Danny to find out how he was getting on. Honestly, the things that God revealed to Danny, who had no real education, no qualification, but God revealed truth to him. 
And I was so, I, I remember asking Danny one time, I got suspicious. I said, who else are you meeting with? You know, who's telling you these things? But it was God revealing himself through this letter to a simple guy who was hungry for truth. So wherever you're at, get into Romans and God will reveal it to you. I, I spoke to Danny, uh, he went back to London and I was a bit concerned that he might have gone back to the madness, you know. Um, and so I, I phoned him this a few months back and I said to him, you know, how are you doing, Danny? He's got a thick Cockney accent. And he said, I'm good, Andrew, I'm good. And I said, what have you been up to? And he said, I have been studying presuppositional apologetics. <laughs> Now, you may not know what that is, but it's not a class A drug. That's the good news, right? Danny's, Danny's been reading the Bible, growing in God, and going on in his faith. Romans really does transform people's lives today. Now, with all of that in mind, my job is just to set us up for the series by giving us a bit of an overview. And to do that, I want to cut into a couple of verses late in the letter of Romans that I think are the hinge upon which this whole letter turns. Very simply, Romans has two halves not quite equal proportions. Romans 1 to 11 is all about what God has done for us. And then Romans 12 to 16 is all about how we respond to him. And so Romans 12 is the hinge upon which the letter turns. It's all about what God's done for us and then how do we respond to him. So I want to cut in late to the letter, Romans 12, a bit like one of those films. You know those films where the opening scene, you only realize later, is actually towards the end of the movie. You know, these ones like Forrest Gump or Fight Club or whatever it might be. And then, it's, and then it loops back round. And when you get back to that scene, you're like, oh, that makes sense now, right? Well, I want to do a bit of that with Romans. Is that okay? And here is this passage in Romans 12, late on in the letter. And by the end of this series, we'll have looped back to this place. And I hope it will all make sense. But I think there are some things here that don't make sense. So listen, listen to Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Paul says this. This is partway through the letter. Therefore... In the light of all, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. Now these are beautiful verses, quite famous actually for many of us I imagine, but I think if you just looked at it in isolation, this wouldn't make much sense. I mean what self-respecting modern person would, would want to offer themselves as a living sacrifice? You notice that phrase, offer your, I invite you to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. In the ancient world, at the time of Paul writing this, regularly people offered animals or drink offerings, libations to the gods. But the idea of offering yourself, and not just once, but notice a living sacrifice, implies it's a continual thing. This isn't something you can just sort out today and then go back to living life your way. You're, going, you're being invited to give yourself to God every minute of every day, continually. And not just part of your life, notice offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Again, in the ancient world, it was assumed that the gods were only interested in your souls and the world of ideas. The gods weren't interested in sex and food and drink and all of that earthy stuff. But the God of the Bible is different. He wants all of you. <laughs> he's interested in every inch of your life. Every detail belongs to him. So he's inviting you 
to every day and every minute continually offer every single part of your body and your whole life to God and no longer live it for yourself. Now, what self-respecting human being would agree to that, hey? But you notice no one's telling you to do this. You are being invited to. You will want to do this, <laughs> is Paul's idea. That by the time you get to this scene in Romans, you will have seen something so incredible that you will be in a place where you want to dedicate your entire life, every inch of it, to God. Now, how do we get there? <laughs> well, the rest of the series of Romans will bring us there. I, I'm trusting for that. I'm really believing for that. But let me just give you a couple of reasons why I think, actually, the most sensible thing to do, Paul actually says in this passage, it's the logical, the logikos is the Greek word he uses, it's the most reasonable thing to do for a human being to say, God, in the light of what you've done for me, I want to give everything I've got to you, knowing my best life will not be when I hold it in my hands, but when I put it in your hands. Amen? Now, why is that the case? Two things. I just want to briefly show you. Firstly, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, gives us a beautiful view. So it's in view of what God's done, and it gives us better values, a different way of being human to the way of this world. So let me just briefly talk into those two that'll give us the big picture of Romans. Firstly, the good news of Jesus gives us a beautiful view. Did you notice that in verse 1? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You need to see something, and in the light of seeing it, offer your whole self to God. Now, I love mountain climbing, which I know probably in Cambridge is not really a thing, but uh, <laughs> some of you may travel to do it. But I love mountain climbing, and so um, as a metaphor, I've compared in this series, I've compared the letter of Romans to a great mountain. Imagine that the New Testament was the Himalayas. I think Romans is Mount Everest, and Romans chapter 8 is the very summit. You will not see a more incredible view of God's purpose and plan than Romans 8. So I compared Romans to a great mountain, and let me just give you a few of the highlights of the view. Notice that language of Paul's. It's as if he's saying, spiritually, we're going to get to an elevated position where you see things you've never seen before, and in view of all of that, you're going to want to give your whole self to God. Now, what is it that we're going to see? Well, firstly, we're going to see, as next week, we're going to start down at the bottom of the mountain. And after setting up the letter at base camp, we're actually going to go even lower because we're going to go down into what I've called the valley of sin, which is ironic because we say we're going up, but it's as if Paul would say, before we go up, I need to take you down to see who you really are without God's help. And the very famous verse that sums this up is, is Romans 3.23. Paul says, all have sinned and fallen. There's that language of descent. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, by nature, he says, are prone inwardly to wander away, to deviate from God's way and to get ourselves into trouble. Now, I appreciate that in our modern world, the language of sin is not particularly popular. You don't hear many people talking about sin. Although, if you're into rugby, which I am, that's my other, mountains and rugby are my two great passions in life, and the Bible comes in in third place. No, uh, no, no right up the top. But I, I love rugby, and if you watch rugby, you'll, you'll come across the sin bin. Are you familiar with this? And it's this idea that someone has transgressed one of the rules on the pitch, and therefore they are shown a yellow card by the ref and they're sent for 10 minutes to the sin bin. 
So it's not completely off limits to talk about sin. And the understanding is that someone has done something that's broken one of the agreed rules for how the, 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 the game is supposed to work. Rugby is such a Christian sport, don't you think? Compared to that other game that we won't mention the name of. Rugby, I mean, there's even several conversions in every rugby match. It's just the most, it's the most Christian sport imaginable. But anyway, my point is, Paul is assuming at the start of the letter, all of us have sinned. We've all got on the wrong side of our creator God, and we need help. No sooner has he introduced that, that then back to the mountain visual. He lifts us out of the mess we've got into, not because of our own efforts, but because of the great rescue plan, the ultimate mountain rescue where Jesus Christ descended into our predicament, took on our guilt and shame and sin, died for it on the cross, and rose again to lift us out of the mess we've got ourselves into and to bring us to a new position where we are no longer under God's judgment. Romans 5 verse 1 is one of my favorites. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the position we get to, not by struggling and striving, but by receiving a gift, God's amazing grace. And notice the language, the tense of these verbs is really important. Therefore, since we have been justified... To be justified is to be put right with God. And whereas in the ancient world you offered sacrifices to the gods and you hoped that if you could pay them enough, you would get their favor at the other end. So much religion. People think, even think Christianity works that way. You put as much good stuff in as you can and you hope that you get a good result at the other end. It does not work like that. It never has. The gospel, the good news, is it's not what we have done for God. It is about what he has done for us. Amen? In in the city of Rome, where they were sacrificing to the gods, Paul writes a letter to say, God has sacrificed himself for you. It's not that you offer the sacrifice to him. On the cross, Jesus loved you so much that he sacrificed his own life to get you out of your mess that you might be put right at peace with Almighty God. I, I remember many years ago, I completed a PhD, and um, some of you may have done this as well, but you'll know that in the British system, what that means is you write a very long thesis over three or four years, about 100,000 words, and then you submit it to the university, and uh, a, f- a couple of three or four professors who are experts in your field, they read it, and three or four months later, you go and meet them for what's known as your viva, which basically means they're going to sit you down for three or four hours often, and grill you about your work, question you. You don't know what they're going to ask, and you've got to respond in the moment. And then they ask you to leave, they confer, and then they call you back in to let you know whether you've passed or not, which, as you can imagine, is a pretty nerve-wracking day in the diary, right? Your viva. I turned up to mine pretty anxious, and uh, after a few pleasantries, for reasons I still don't really understand, the lead examiner got up, and he walked across the room, and he said, we've decided to tell you in advance that you've passed, Well done, Dr. Ollerton. And he put out his hand. Now, I remember looking at that hand (laughs) and thinking, this is some kind of a trap. You know, this this cannot be happening. But as I reached out my hand into his and took hold of that offer, I felt such peace. Extraordinary. I mean, that is peace. You're being told up front, not after some exam, but up front, you've already passed. So relax. (laughs) 
Now, we then did have a two or three hour conversation about how I could improve my work. But I was more than happy with that because I knew up front it was all sorted. I knew whatever came, whatever questions, whatever changes I needed to make, I'd already passed. That's how the gospel works. Up front, God reaches out to us in Jesus Christ and says, I want you to be my son, my daughter. This is so much better than a PhD, honestly. He wants us to be part of his family. He brings us in, and then Romans 6 and 7, he says, now let's talk about how we can improve your work. (laughs) Now let's talk about how you can really change. Romans 6, you are no longer a slave to sin. Now that you're in Jesus Christ, you can really change. Your past does not need to define your future. Romans 8 verse 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're moving up now. You're moving on from who you used to be, having been welcomed into God's family by the gift of grace. You're now transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And then Romans 8 finishes with this beautiful promise. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a view. I mean, think about how, who you were down at the bottom. You were under God's judgment. Think about who you are by God's grace. You're a child of God. You're no longer a slave to fear. You're a child of God being promised that whatever comes tomorrow, nothing will be able to separate you from God's love. Paul lists over 20 different possible calamities that could come our way. And he says, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but I know this, nothing can separate you from God's love. Now, I don't know about you, going into the challenges of our modern world with that kind of assurance is a beautiful view. And it makes me want to take my life. I actually start to feel like I want to do this now. I want to offer my whole life to God who's given everything for me. That's the way the gospel works. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. Now, very briefly, let me give you your second reason why you should do this. Beautiful view. And secondly, better values. Did you notice in chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul goes on to say, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God has a good plan for your life. He has a much better set of values for you and I to live by than the world around us. And Paul therefore urges us, don't let the world squeeze you into living its way. There is a better way to live. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. I don't know about you, but as we live in the modern world, we can feel this pressure. Do you feel it as well? A pressure to change what we think, to conform to the crowd. There's a kind of almost a pressure of the crowd to make us feel like we have to believe a certain thing or live a certain way. And that's true in our thinking. And so Paul says this whole letter of Romans is designed to transform your mind. One of the things you're going to get out of Romans is a different way to see life. A different way to think about God and the world the transforming of your mind. So that's why I invite you, wherever you're watching, embrace this series and every part of it, as well as the Sundays and the small group material and the book that I've written and the actual text of Romans. Let the whole thing transform the way you see life. Amen? And then we will actually live out the values that God has for us. 
values that are so different to the world around. Not self-centered, but living with generosity. Not returning when people hurt us, not repaying them with hurt back, but loving even our enemies. Imagine what Romans could do if it transformed us to living that kind of life. As I finish, I want to tell you about my Auntie Edna as a good little summary of what this whole message is about. The beautiful view of what God has made us and then the better values that we can live by. Summed up in my Auntie Edna. She's dead now. She's gone to be with Jesus. But when she was alive, she lived. She was a living sacrifice for him. She was not ever on the stage. She was a simple lady. She went about teaching Sunday schools about Jesus. She used to make clothes. She was a seamstress. So during the week, out of her own money, she would make clothes for people in other parts of the world that had disasters. And she just went around as a living sacrifice, just living every day for God. And then one day when she was in her 80s, two um, thugs broke into her home and robbed her at knife point. They took, they took what she had uh, in her home, everything, her savings, her pension, her jewelry, and then they left. And um, shortly after they left, my auntie Edna phoned my mum, who's, who's her relative. And my mum told me afterwards what she said, and this was auntie Edna's response. They've literally, the, the, the lads had just left. And she said to my mum, she said, this is very difficult for me now, she said, because I already had a very long prayer list, and I've now got two more people to add to it. <laughs> How powerful it is when we don't conform to the pattern of this world. But we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Every day, my auntie Edna prayed for those two lads that robbed her because she refused to be overcome by evil. She refused to let bad win. She prayed, and, and, and in the end, um, at her funeral, I was told by someone who was there from Young Offenders Prison that those lads were caught, they were put in prison. But there in prison, one of them uh, went to the chapel service and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Yeah. And uh, is now following Jesus. And I must admit, I've thought about that day when my auntie Edna and that young lad will dance together in heaven. And they'll celebrate that we are not who we used to be because God got hold of us. And this world will not be won by bad and evil, but ultimately will be won by good. Because God's good news has won the day. And I want to invite you wherever you are today, to put your life then into God's hands through this series, to let it renew your mind. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. Let this, let this letter of Romans transform you from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I wonder if some of us want to respond to this just in a moment of offering ourselves to God. So before the band lead us in a song, I want to just give a moment of response. And it may be today that you've wandered away from God and you've been really conforming to the pattern of the world around. You've lost sight of this beautiful view of what God has done for you. But today you just want to say, either for the first time or in a new way, God, I want to give my life back into your hands. I don't want to do this my way. I want to do this your way. All of me, body and soul, a living sacrifice to you. Just as we close our eyes, would you just lift your hands to the Lord with me if that's where you're at? If you want to make that response right now, I want to pray for you. But I want you just to lift your hands as a sign of offering your life. Imagine all of your being is in, that, in those hands. Your money, your time, your energy, your skills, your future. 
And today in a new way, you want to offer yourself to God. Thank you for those of you who've got your hands up. Just keep them lifted up and I want to pray over you. Lord, I want to thank you that your will for our lives is the good, pleasing and perfect will. And I, forgive us when we've believed the world that actually we'll find the pleasing will somewhere else, you know. I just need some more money or a different job. Lord, these things are not the answer. You're the answer to my life. And I lift my hands to you now to offer all of my being back to you. I want to thank you that Jesus Christ offered all of himself for me. And in view of your mercy, I want to offer all of myself to him. Lord Jesus, take my life. Take my thoughts and my deeds. Like Auntie Edna, I don't want to let this world win the day. I don't want to be overcome by evil. I want to return evil with good. I want to shine a light in the darkness. I want to bring hope in Jesus' name. So take my life, Lord Jesus, and let it be a living sacrifice for you. And Lord, I pray over everyone who's just lifted their hands to you. May through this Roman series, may they discover that your will is the good, pleasing, and perfect will in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, folks. Let's go. Thank you for listening to the C3 podcast. This message has spoken to you today in some way. We would love to know. Reach out to us at hello at the C3.uk. And if you want to extend the reach of what we do here, why not consider giving by going to the C3.uk forward slash giving. And as always, subscribe to our channel and share this episode with a friend. We hope to see you soon.